Hello and welcome to the Ecom Ops podcast. We believe that there is more than enough content focused on e-commerce marketing and not enough content celebrating the real heroes of e-commerce, those running the operation. Each week, we find and interview an e-commerce operations expert to share the secrets behind how some of this industry's most exciting businesses are run. I'm your host, Norbert Strappler, the CEO of SingSpider. Hello and welcome to another Ecom Ops podcast. Today I have Matt from Marketing Labs, Richard Harris, who is the founder and CEO of Black Crow AI, Kyle from Elevated Scale, and James. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk today about online marketing, search engine optimization, advertising. Welcome to the show, Matt. What is ever-changing that the landscape of e-commerce is always changing. What have you seen in this couple of years? How did that involve? So I've seen quite a few things this last couple of years. It's really interesting. So the first one, there was a good phase of gamification going on where e-commerce businesses are really trying to encourage Shopify. There's an app on Shopify that's great for this, where you'll spin the wheel in the sidebar. And they've almost encouraged gamification. And ah, it's, yeah. it's almost like gambling, actually, a little bit. But you spin the wheel for your discount. You know, so I've seen a lot of gamification going on actually in the e-commerce space over the last couple of years. And I think as ever, if you do it correctly, it can work quite nicely. If you don't, it can feel a little bit disingenuous. You know, if you get a 5% discount code and you've spun the wheel, you might be thinking, well, did somebody else get 25% discount code? Did somebody get 50% discount code? There's maybe a negative connotation there as well, potentially. Yes. One of the things I've seen a lot as well, especially over the last six months, and I've particularly don't think this is a great idea, to be honest, is using AI to, to create content for e-commerce stores. I've seen quite a lot of e-commerce stores that have churned out thousands of product descriptions using AI. I worry about the accuracy, but actually above everything, I worry about the impact that might have on their search visibility. I'm sure search engines won't appreciate that. And I know their argument might be initially, it's, as long as it's good for the user, it might be good for us. But we do an awful lot of testing we have hundreds of websites that we use to break, to build, break, test, build, break, test. And it's a continuous cycle of just figuring things out. Um, and AI content is one of them. So we've been playing with AI content probably for three or four years now. We have about 100 websites, not specifically e-commerce websites, but about 100 websites that, that we use purely just to churn AI content out and see the kind of impact in search visibility, search engines. And I think we saw a very noticeable decline two or three months ago for most of those websites, I would say at least 50% of them have lost 90% of their search visibility. Very big impact. Some of them less so, but yeah, a big chunk of them have seen. have seen. And I think that'll only get worse. So AI is huge, obviously, but I think people need to work out better ways of using it as part of a process and part of a system instead of to be the system. It's great for insights. It's great for supporting your processes, but not necessarily great always for being your process. That's great. In your experience, what are some typical common mistakes that e-commerce businesses do regarding their digital marketing strategy? Okay, so this is really interesting because I had a conversation this morning with a new client about four or five things that they really need to master. And the first thing on the list was their product naming convention. So they had a product, they sell jewelry, and they had a product on their website called Gold Necklace. If you think about the intent of somebody searching, firstly, the chances of them ranking for Gold Necklace are very slim. 
They're a very small company. It's a very broad search term. But also it's a search term where you could challenge the intent. If somebody's searching for gold necklace, are they looking to buy a product? Possibly not. Are they looking for information on gold necklaces? Yeah, maybe. Are they looking for trends? Are they looking for images? Are they looking for resellers? Are they looking how to manufacture one? It's quite a broad intent for a keyword like that. But also the chances of them ranking are almost non-existent. So we tried to help them and encourage them to create a naming convention that they could take advantage of more intent-driven traffic, but also less competitive keywords. For example, in this instance, the necklace had, had diamantes. So straight away, diamantes can go into the product name. It was nine karat gold. Straight away, nine karat gold can go in. Specifically, actually, this one was for teenagers, female teenagers. So again, that can go into the product name. And all of a sudden, you've got a, a much longer tail product name where you can start capitalizing on different audiences, but different audiences that are lower in the conversion. So they're closer to converting and they're easier to rank for. So I think that's a big mistake. I see a huge amount. Th those naming yeah. conventions are quite important, but also you can take that to the next level. Now, you might have certain situations where on the website, you could duplicate that product and give it two different names. There's, there are certain issues with that. Obviously, if you've got people looking around your website, it might cause confusion. But if you're generating traffic and revenue through something like Google Shopping or Google Ads, there's no reason actually why you can't change the product naming convention specifically in your Google Shopping feed. So we had this with a client who sells a particular type of product. Very boring product, actually. But if you go to a music gig, you might see the speaker wires going across the dance floor. The product that this particular client sold was a cable protector. So it's a piece of rubber and the wire sits inside it. People can't trip over the wire. Very boring and very useful, but very boring. But the thing is, in their industry, they call this a cable protector. There's some search volume for cable protector. But everybody else, all of their competitors call their products cable protectors. But actually, there's so many other ways that product can be described where there's little competition and still an audience. For example, wire protection, cable protection, rubber covers, cable covers. There's so many ways it can be described. So what we did is we took their Google Shopping feed. We duplicated that product, I think, maybe 10 times and gave it 10 different names and fed all of them through to Google Shopping, and all of a sudden their audience is 10 times higher. I think within a month, their revenue had increased 1,200%. I'm talking to Richard Harris, who is the founder and CEO of Black Crow AI. Let's talk a bit about mistakes. You have seen a lot of e-commerce stores. What are some common critical mistakes that e-commerce businesses still make? The one we see the most is just the average managing your company on averages. And so... It means you have one site experience, you have one promotional and offer experience, you have one customer service experience, you have one communication and marketing experience. And that, I understand it because marketers especially have been starved for data, right? There haven't been a lot of tools out there that would let them do anything else than deliver averages across their whole business. But I think now, whether it's with Black Pro or all kinds of other tools out there, you do have the power to de-average. And so when you de-average your user base, you can de-average your business. And so it's very common when you think about customer segmentation. But now even for much smaller businesses, uh, you have the power to, to de-average 
your users in terms of the value they're going to generate for you and their engagement, et cetera, and therefore de-average the actions that you take. And you can think of this in very, very simple terms, just even high, medium, low, right? So I have low value users, medium value, high value. Just in those three buckets, you can really transform your P&L by doing things differently for each of those groups. And that sort of, yeah, I mentioned earlier, I was a consultant at BCG and a big thing that we would do, this is in the pre-machine learning era, but a big thing that we would often do with large corporate customers is just encourage them to de-average their thinking, right? Can you isolate pockets that are big deviations from the average? And when you can, pockets of anything, right? Whether it's product margins, customers, marketing, anything. And when you can do those and you just see this sort of tier version of everything that you're doing, so much becomes immediately clear. And I think mm-hmm. the data tools are now there that even small companies can do this and de-average their thinking and therefore de-average their actions. That's really very helpful. And I think it's also reducing the experimentation time. So many businesses are running AP tests and all these kind of things with audience groups and a lot of traffic and analyzing afterwards how it you will never ever reduce it completely and and remove it from businesses but you can definitely reduce the experimentation time that, that you spend on all that that's right and that's very interesting as well because it helps your marketing team to make right decisions upfront already even the notion of a b tests which is normally like let me try version a and let me try version b and i'll let them both run There are now, in the world of machine learning, very intelligent models that can test multiple things at the same time and based on much less data, able to forecast predictions, what the results will be, and start narrowing down the portfolio of options. So rather than just A, B, you might have A to F or A to Q, and all of those tests running simultaneously, and the machine is picking up on the signals of each, and you can narrow them down. So you can do many, many more tests in parallel and get to the right answer faster. Yeah, cool. And it also brings me to a topic of influencers, because when I know the right audience, actually, and the right people, I can target the right influencers, right? To, That's to right. get my products out there. Yeah. And this is actually a very interesting channel. Do you have recommendations on how brands can effect- effectively partner up with influencers? Yeah, we take a data sort of approach to everything, but... If you just go back for a second to what we were talking about, like from the moment a user arrives, we can predict their future value, exactly how likely they are to buy. Even if a, an influencer seems to have high brand affinity, you would think that their, their sort of fan base, their followers seem to align with your audience. It's really hard to make a big commitment, I think, unless you just test it out and you know, depending on on what the sales cycle is for your e-commerce company, it can take a while if the consideration time is say 10 days or 60 days, depending on what kind of thing you're selling. It may be hard to get a read on, wait, are the users that my brand gets to interact with? Okay. Maybe they have some affinities, but are they actually buying stuff, which ultimately we all care about? Are they buying stuff? Yeah. Now, normally you would have to wait for that whole cycle to happen. Now, because we're predicting the future value of every user, you can get a very early read, like in the first 10 minutes or 10 hours of users coming from an influencer campaign. You can say, is this influencer delivering high value users to me or more of those 0.02% low value users? So you can get a read on that very fast and start making decisions about, is this an area I want to put more time and money into, 
or should I be looking at other areas or different influencers? I'm talking to James and uh, yeah, we're going to talk today about online marketing, search engine optimization, advertising. So this is really a great topic. I love it. Welcome to the show, James. Great. Yeah, thank you. And I've, I've stayed true to the, uh, to the course of e-commerce. So that's always been my interest. That's where my passion lies. And yeah, what more could I ask for? I get to do this every day of my life. And it's just a great space to be in. It's only getting better. Yeah, cool. You have really a great extensive background in, in those search engine marketing and ads around e-commerce. Can you share some maybe lesser known but effective strategies for optimizing shopping ads? I have to give it to Google. They've created a, a product called Performance Max, which I'm sure you've heard of. It's an all-encompassing advertising platform that they offer where it's especially tailored for e-commerce businesses because you can set up your merchant account. You can get all of your product feeds pushed into Google Ads platform. It then creates all of the ads that you need for, for those products. So it's really sort of aimed at e-commerce sellers. And I think people are a little bit scared with machine learning. They're either all for it or they're a bit worried given that Google's kind of mandate is to extract as much money from you as an advertiser as possible. And you obviously need to make sure that your cost per acquisition is as low as possible. So there's a conflict of interest there. But Google does a really good job of, of doing that, but still keeping your costs low. And it just gives you all of the flexibility and all of the tools that you need to effectively market on their platform. And as we know, like Google is still number one in terms of searches. If people aren't on Amazon, they're on Google making those searches for those products. And that's where you can present your products from your e-commerce store. So I'd have to say Performance Max from Google Ads is a good one. Great. Yeah, thank you. And I've, I've stayed true to the, uh, to the course of e-commerce. So that's always been my interest. That's where my passion lies. And yeah, what more could I ask for? I get to do this every day of my life. And it's just a great space to be in. It's only getting better. And that's really interesting. It's on Google still a huge portion of the entire cake, which is great. But if you're not on Amazon, is this something that you should look into to also sell your goods on Amazon or... Do you think, no, it's better to keep it in the store and make a good advertising around that? It depends on your business model. Amazon, of course, it has the, the audience. It has massive reach. It also simplifies the logistics quite a bit. You can have a single business registered with them, a single profile, and they will put your stock in all of the most relevant warehouses across Europe or United States or wherever you want to operate. They determine the best kind of warehouse based on sort of order volumes and that sort of thing. So if you're looking for to launch and get the product out there and you don't want to worry too much about all the intricacies of running your own brand, running your own website, server hosting, marketing, all of that. If you just want to sell product, then Amazon is probably a good approach, approach to take. Although they do have very strict requirements for you to be able to sell on their platform, you need to have very specific sizes of boxes and there's certain limitations, which of course you have to be in line with. But They do have the audience. So that's it. You can hit the ground running and start selling from day one as opposed to running your own e-commerce store 
where there's the branding element behind it. You've got to set up the website. You've got to import the products. You've got to make sure everything looks good. You've got to make sure the performance is there, that the website is loading quickly. It's it's checking all the, the requirements for Core Web Vitals and all of the Google metrics that are important for ranking. Yeah. All of that is it needs to be going on at the backhand, in the background. And that might mean you need to hire other people as well, specialists, consultants, that sort of thing. So it just depends on your model. There's no sort of one size fits all. So it's really dependent on where you want to see yourself in the future that you have for the business and just what appeals really. Do you enjoy getting behind the scenes and running a web server and running your marketing campaigns and all of that? Or are you just interested in the high level stuff, just pushing products through a platform that already has the audience? I'm talking to Kyle from Elevate and Scale. Hey, Kyle, great to meet you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So uh, whenever you have email marketing in place or writing SMS or what else, it's also about key elements. It's about storytelling. What do you recommend um, to e-commerce owners how to build a compelling story about the brand or about the products? Is to me is one of the most powerful things. And all the, the big brands that invest a ton of money in figuring this out. And this is something that if you are a small business owner where you can immediately stand out from your direct competition by doing this. So the problem that business owners face is that you have a lot of, um, I mean, your most direct competitors most of the time are selling products that have very similar features. And let's just assume that you're selling something that's high quality. There's only so high of quality you can get. And assuming your best competitors are also at that same level of high quality, there's usually only going to be a couple of little feature differences. So then it's like, okay, how do I stand out? But also for the customers, if you think from their perspective, how do you make an easy buying decision? And where the answer to that is by having a brand story and having marketing and branding that really caters to them and really resonates with them. So the first place I, or the best resource I always recommend to people to just get started on doing this is actually a book called Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. And he's got a whole other program course and other stuff he does. But the they have this framework where they will take you through. And their, their whole concept is that you want to define the hero of your brand story. And you want the hero of your brand story to be your ideal customer. Whereas we naturally a lot of times think that the hero of our brand story should be our brand. And that we should present us or our products as the hero. But it's actually the opposite. You want your ideal customer to be the hero. And then you want to define the problems they're facing, define the ideal outcomes they want to experience, and then you present your brand or your product as the guide that helps them realize that ideal outcome. So just to give you a you know, quick example, let's just say you're targeting people who love hiking and outdoor adventures, and you know they love the feeling of pushing themselves to hike bigger and bigger mountains, and they, that's where they get the satisfaction is whenever they're doing that, they feel better about themselves or just having a lot of fun. But one of the problems they face is that they get really dehydrated and that limits how big of a mountain they can hike or how far they can go or whatever. So if they add your electrolyte powder, powder to their water bottle, now they can push themselves harder for longer and they can achieve bigger and bigger accomplishments in the hobby that they love. So the way you're presenting this is you're not trying to present your electrolyte powder as the hero. It's helping them be a bigger hero, right? It's like, you're just kind of giving them that little thing they needed, but ultimately you're focusing it on them and you're focusing all on them, getting more of what they already wanted to get. And so that's the thinking. And you just have to 
again, that's why I recommend that resource because you have to kind of create, you have to, you know, take a little bit of time up front to write some things down and maybe do a little research on your customers, talk to customers, ideally, if you can, and figure out how you can present your brand in that similar way. What are the top three mistakes that entrepreneurs make when it comes to email marketing? I'd say the first one that comes to mind is relying too much on discounts. And I, mm. so a lot of the companies we work with, we do use discounts in our email marketing. Sure. And so every brand is going to be kind of different as far as we, that's something we talk about up front. It's like, you know, uh, how much, how often do you want to? And most of our clients are in the, the category of, we want to use them strategically, but not rely on them. Basically some people want to never use them. And then some brands, they use them too much. And so here, here's what happens is like the first time you send a big, an email with a big discount off is you get this big spike in sales. And then a lot of your customers will maybe stock up on that thing. And then they don't buy for a little bit after. So then the company kind of panics. So then they want to do the big discount again. And you get to where you train your customers to never want to buy full price because they know there's always another discount coming. And I don't think that that's a good idea for protecting the value of your, your brand and protecting the value of your pricing. I think it's better to have little discount incentives um, that you're using for a specific purpose. So it could be like getting that first purchase is the most common thing we do. It could be even that you're kind of like you have strategically placed automations to get them to the third purchase. Because for a lot of brands, when they can get a customer to that third purchase, that's when they really become a loyal lifetime customer. Or it could be you use them as a customer win back type of thing. So someone hasn't purchased in a while. And I also don't think that there's anything wrong with participating in Black Friday, Cyber Monday, or you know, major holiday sales. But so that's that's one thing is it's not is it not um, getting addicted to <laughs> the discounts and doing the little bit harder work of crafting better content where people will buy without the discounts. Another common mistake is not getting your email frequency right. So what I find is that sometimes business smaller businesses are emailing way too often and they don't have a list that's big enough yet to really justify that. And they're actually just shooting themselves in the foot because they are getting more people to just start ignoring their emails before they've even gotten big enough to where they could get away with emailing more frequently and using segmentation. Where then on the other end of the spectrum, there's a lot of times brands that are have a really big list and really high revenue and they never email their list. And it's just like, okay, you, <laughs> you could yeah, be making yeah. so much more money. And if you liked it, don't miss the next episode. See you then. And that's it for this episode of the Ecom Ops Podcast. If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and interview more e-commerce operations experts, please search for Ecom Ops Podcast in your favorite podcast listening app and then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time.